All right, all right. Hey, everybody, how's it going? Man, so good to see you. Welcome. Glad you made it. After like 18 weeks of not gathering uh, because of COVID, we spent the last six weeks here at the Christian Life Center. Can we just put it together for the Christian Life Center for making this spot available? Yeah, I love it. They're the best. Um, and a special little shout out to Tim. Tim works at Christian Life Center and he's here every week in the morning for when Christian Life Center gathers and then he comes back to wrangle us as well. So thank you, Tim. So thrilled that you're here, man. Uh, yeah, we can put our hands together for that too. Hey, if you're new, my name's Andrew, one of the pastors here at Riverbend. Uh, we are all about pursuing the presence of God. And one of the things that's been so awesome about um, this time of recentering. Uh, we really believe like the Lord is really setting the agenda for his church. The things that are most critical, most essential are sort of rising to the surface. And we want to stay focused and give God our full and undivided attention. And so that's what we're going to do again tonight. I'm going to be wrapping up our little mini series on what we've been calling the future of the church. What we believe are the things that are emerging as the most important things for the church of the future. What we believe God's going to be doing both now and into the future. So I'm so glad you joined us for the conversation. Why don't you open with me to Mark chapter 1. That's where we'll get started. And let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just want to take this moment to say thank you because we have been invited into your family by you. And this is something that for many of us is not a new concept or a new idea. But we are your children. And we just want to say thank you so much for the wide open invitation into your family. And as your children, we, we come before you right now and we want to come to center, come underneath your vision, come underneath your teaching. And we want to uh, be captivated and pulled into this grand large story that you have for us to live into. And God, we just want to say thank you that, uh, that your wisdom is higher than ours and, and your word is higher than ours. And we just come before you right now and we're just eager eager to hear your voice, to be changed deeply by you. So God, would you be with us in this time? Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, um, again, if you're new, just a little bit of permission. We're excited about Jesus around here, and we're excited about the scriptures. So if you need to get a, if you need a hoot and holler, let's just like that, if you need to say amen or hallelujah to something, that is not just appreciated, it's desired, it's wanted, because we really are excited about Jesus around here. So um, Mark chapter 1 is where we're starting it. So um, as you guys know, these last several weeks we've been talking about what is the future of the church going to be like after a pandemic season like COVID-19. And we talked about all kinds of things, practicing the presence of God. We've talked about church as family. We've talked about formation into the image of Jesus. And today we are talking about sharing the gospel for the church to be compelling in the 21st century. We, are going, we need to be the kind of church that shares the gospel about Jesus with passion, not ashamed by it, not insecure about it, but passionate about Jesus and passionate about the message. Are you with me so far? Yeah, come on. So how do we, so the question is, how do we do it? How do we engage our community with the, the good news about Jesus? We all have friends and neighbors in a circle of influence, most of whom do not follow Jesus. So how do we share the message in a compelling way? 
Now, this isn't an easy task in our cultural moment. I, it's not lost on me that this is a very challenging time to share the gospel. We live in a polarized society, to put it mildly. Um, it's not like every once in a while that there's public outrage right now. There's outrage around every corner, 24-7, 365. There's some political group, some uh, religious institution, some special interest group that is up in arms about something. That's just the nature of the world that we live in. So with all of the polarization and all of the volatility in our society at the moment, it's kind of difficult to share our most deeply held beliefs, especially when it has to do with Jesus. So the question at the center of this conversation is how is the gospel of Jesus good news to our friends and neighbors in 2020 here in Central Oregon? How does the gospel preach to our sisters and brothers who we are in uh, their circle of influence? And how do we share it with them? So um, first though, we really have to deal with what just happened in a lot of you when I said that we we're gonna be talking about sharing the gospel. For a lot of us, this is a super uncomfortable thing that we don't really love to talk about. So some of you were thinking like, is it too late? For me to like fake a phone call and get out of here real quick um, and not have to have this conversation. And frankly, I get it because thing, like I said, it's a polarizing time uh, in, on, in our society, our cultural moment. It's not an easy time to be sharing the gospel. Um, for example, there's some data that back this up, by the way. Uh, David Kinnaman, who is the, um, uh, the president over at Barna, they do a lot of research on faith issues. He says this, 47% of practicing Christian millennials say it's wrong to evangelize. It's morally wrong to do that. It's crazy. So 10 years ago, for example, Americans in general saw that sharing Christianity was sort of irrelevant. It's kind of besides the point, it doesn't really matter. But today, 60% of adults believe it's extreme to try and convert someone, which we're going to drive into what that means here in a second. Maybe that describes you. And yet we have this paradox, though, because a lot of us feel that it's wrong to try and convert someone to our version of spiritual reality or what we, what we believe. Um, 47% of Christian millennials say that it's wrong to share faith, but 94% of the same people say the best thing that could ever happen to someone is to come to know Jesus, right? So there's a bit of a paradox there. So we have this sense that J knowing Jesus matters. It, it has real consequence in life to know Jesus. And we genuinely love our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and all of that. And we want them to meet Jesus, but we're conflicted. We're conflicted about it. It's uncomfortable for us. And so we don't really know how to share the gospel in a compelling way. So um, that's the focus. When we're conflicted, what I suggest we do is we go to the scriptures. We go to Jesus. We see what he has to say on the issue, right? That's a good practice. So Mark chapter 1, I had you turn there a minute ago. This is page 1, by the way, of what the Bible calls gospel. It says this, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So one of the first things that Jesus does right out of the gate when he bursts onto the scene in Galilee is that he proclaims the good news. Now, uh, a little bit of um, history on the words of it here in, in the scriptures. Uh, the word uh, proclaim is the Greek word keruso, and it simply means to announce or to herald, right? So it's like pre-Twitter way of getting the word out, essentially. And uh, he's what he's proclaiming is um, what is in Greek, the euangelion, or the good news of God. And the idea on this, you guys, is simple enough. Many of you are probably already familiar with this concept. 
um, the idea of good news is just Jesus out in public getting people's attention and making the announcement, hey, good news, the kingdom of God is here. Uh, repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so it's a simple enough idea, but it's an extremely loaded message, even back in Jesus's time, kind of like it is ours today. So in Israel, occupied by the Roman Empire in the first century, this is a very loaded statement, and here's why. There's a story that's baked into this announcement. So um, Isaiah, who's a prophet who came hundreds of years before Jesus, uh, he tells of a time when Jerusalem is in ruins. The presence of God has actually left the temple, which is a humongous deal uh, to the Jews at the time. And in this vision, Isaiah writes from the vantage point of a watchman who is at the gates of the city, standing on the rubble of Jerusalem, holding out hope that a messenger is going to one day come and tell of the king, the Messiah, making his triumphant return uh, to restore God's peaceful rule in Jerusalem, and then it would spread to the whole world. So that was the vision, the prophetic vision uh, from this time of exile and from this time where, uh, where Israel is in ruins. Hey, you know what? Maybe one day there's going to be the, the return of the king and he's going to restore peaceful rule. And that's what the, this is what the promise says. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, a gospel who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is the, uh, the prophet's way of saying good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. So if you're an Israelite in Jesus' day and you're under Roman occupation and Jesus' announcement comes and it's like music to your ears. It would resurrect your hope and your longing for Yahweh's reign. But, but, that, but that's just one, one, one side of it. The other side of it is this. The, to the Roman world, this would have been seen as a threat to the empire. Um, so um, every time there was a new king or a new emperor to the Roman Empire, a new Caesar, he would, what he would do is he would send out messengers everywhere throughout the entire empire to Caruso to, to proclaim the, the euangelion, the good news, there's a new king and his rule is here and he's reigning in peace. And that was something, so this is both something that Jesus is doing, but this is something that the Romans had been doing for generations up until this point, proclaiming the good news that there's a new king. So if you read it from that perspective, Jesus' message is simple, it's profound, but it's extremely polarizing. It's polarizing, just like it is today. It was met with a lot of opposition. N.T. Wright says this, uh, the gospel is not good advice. It's not good advice, it's good news. And the good news is that something has happened, an event has taken place in actual history, and the results of which is the world is a completely different place. So now that Jesus is here, an actual historical event, something has radically changed in the world around us and we're in a completely new reality now that Jesus is here announcing the kingdom. So here we have another example of Jesus doing this in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 23. It'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of God or the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So not only is Jesus announcing the good news of the kingdom, hey, hey good news, good news, the kingdom of God's at hand. He's also bringing the kingdom with him. 
by demonstrating his power and authority as the king, demonstrating his power and authority over the kingdom of darkness and over sickness and over rebellion and all the rest. The kingdom is here. Let me show you what I mean. So Jesus is on the, on the ground preaching and also uh, demonstrating bringing the kingdom. Amen. That's a good thing. Would you agree? Yeah, it's good. So Matthew chapter 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then I love this one, Matthew 24, verse 14. This is Jesus talking about an apocalypse or the end of days. And he's saying, this is what he has to say. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. In other words, my people are going to get the word out. They're going to spread the good news that, uh, that I am king and that I am establishing my peaceful reign here. One last scripture before we sort of unpack it all together. Acts chapter 1. Now this is Jesus after he went to the cross, after he rose again. He, he went to his disciples and they were absolutely shocked that Jesus was alive. And he says, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then right before he ascends to heaven, he says this to his disciples. He says, or excuse me, a little bit, a little bit, back up a little bit to verse six. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So in other words, he's saying, they're, they're saying, okay, so Jesus, you rose from the dead. Are you going to get on with the redemption project that we sort of have in mind? And what, what does Jesus say? He says, hey, guys, listen, it's not for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But this is what you do know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is just the very beginning, you guys, of a, of a biblical framework for what it means for us as the people of Jesus to f do the Jesus stuff and share the good news, spread the gospel, right? So here's what we know. Jesus, uh, he's, he's got a message to get out. And as he's walking the earth, he's sharing it wherever he went with power and conviction and in love and with miracles and all of the Jesus stuff. And it was met with super mixed results. It just really was. Um, for some, it resurrected hope in God's promise. For others, it was uh, smacking of rebellion and they didn't want anything to do with it. But here's what happened as a result of Jesus' announcement. Because of the good news, the world is fundamentally a different place. After he rose from the dead, he commissioned his followers, that's you and I, to keep getting the message out. And since that time, Acts chapter 1, it's been about 2,000 years, not give or take a couple of years, and there has been an unbroken chain. Think about this, an unbroken chain of his followers who have kept getting the word out, empowered by the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the good news about Jesus. So you and I are direct descendants of that promise and that command from, the, from Jesus to the early Christians. Hey, this is what you're about if you're going to follow me, this is what you're about. You're about getting the word out about who I am and the power that I have. Now, I happen to think that this is an opportune moment, the one that we're in right now, the COVID world, post-COVID world, and sort of, um, as it's been described, just sort of the havoc that's going through our society at the moment. It's a, a perfect opportunity to share 
the full gospel, the good news about who Jesus really is because he has the power to transform. He has the power to change a life, but not only that, to just change the fabric of society. There is a hope that one day Jesus is returning. He's making all things new. And we are the ones who get to experience that reality of the kingdom in the here and now. So we've got a lot to celebrate and it's stinking good news. So we're gonna get the word out. We're just gonna wanna get the word out about who Jesus is. Hopefully, we're on the same page here. I hope. So this is how Jesus is taking the project forward. He loves you and invites you into his family, and then he says, come on, let's keep this thing going. There's more people I deeply love than I want in my family. Go, go tell them about me. That's at the center, that is at the center of our faith. This is not an inward-facing organization. This is not an inward-facing spirituality. It is by definition, not by me, by Jesus, outward-facing towards the rest of the planet. Are you guys with me? Awesome. Okay. Here's, so we, we don't really have issue with that, but most of us are, are not taking issue with that, but we're still uneasy about a lot of this. Because our experience tells us that sharing the gospel can be traumatic for everyone involved. It just can be. We get all tell stories. I remember um, there's this really great um, quote by Gare Jones, who uh, is a pastor down in L.A. and leads a really cool ministry called Alpha on the West Coast, which I'm going to talk to you more about um, today as well. And he says, isn't there, shouldn't there be a way to tell others that isn't pushy and judgy? super awkward and preachy and disrespectful and arrogant and unloving and unkind and shaming and cheesy and super awkward and social suicide. Isn't there a way to do this that doesn't, isn't like all of that? And I, and I find that to be a, a really important question because when we're pushing back about sharing the gospel, it's very, it's not that we don't believe people need to hear about Jesus. It's that all of the methods that we know how to do are just kind of awkward. It's like, what are you going to do? Invite your friend to church and hear me yak about it? Like, you can do that. That's not a bad idea. But the, in reality, a lot of times that doesn't come off real well. I remember one time, <laughs> it was my first year of Bible college. I went to this little Bible college on Maui. It was the best thing I could think to do when I was 18 years old. And it, it turned out I was right. It was fantastic. And a lot of people love Jesus there. And I learned so much. I fell in love with the scriptures, fell in love with Jesus. And actually, that was where I decided that I wanted to become a pastor. Um, and so I, but I remember there's this one class that we were, we were forced to take called Evangelism 101. And um, I may have shared this story once before, but this is one of the most formative experiences for me uh, growing up uh, as like in my early days of, of uh, studying the scriptures. And the whole premise of the class was that everyone needs to know Jesus and we need to be the ones to tell them about him. And I'm in on that premise as we just decided that we all are. Um, but then we, when we, like, actually the content of the class was, was basically skipping over a lot of the things, the, the cultural moment that we're living in, uh, the, the spiritual strongholds in our society. We skipped over people's stories and getting to know them and knowing their background and, and understanding where they've come from and their journey of faith up until this point. We skipped over the power of love and our need for a relational connection with people as we're sharing the gospel with them and credibility and integrity and all of that. And we just spent most of the class, Evangelism 101, learning what I'm just going to call like clever rebuttals to people's intellectual questions 
or intellectual objections to the gospel. That's what the content of the class was. So here's what that did for me and a lot of people in my class. Basically what that did is it formed our perspective to think that what sharing the good news is, is convincing people that we haven't really met and who we really don't care about, that they're wrong for believing in their version of spirituality and they're doomed to hell unless they believe in our version of spirituality. Does that sound like good news to you? Doesn't really sound like good news to me either. And, uh, and of course, no one really says it like that. No one clearly does. And I actually, I trust that there's a lot of people who use that sort of as a methodology to share the good news that actually have really good intentions and are really sincere. But we're turning the gospel, but my view is this, we're turning the gospel into a weapon. Turning the gospel into a weapon instead of an announcement about good news like Jesus did that invites people into life with Jesus. And so anyways, the, the final of that class was, and maybe you've heard me tell this story, the final of that class, we had to jump in our crummy church vans and we went into these random neighborhoods around Maui and our job was to go and share the gospel. And so we would go up to people's doors and like knock on the door and wait for someone to come. And then we'd say, hey, do you know Jesus? And then we'd just cram it down their throats. And uh, so that was what we were supposed to do. And uh, I'm cringing a little bit now telling this story. This is a real trauma in my life. So maybe I need to go to counseling, but I'm not. I'm just telling you guys about it. Uh, so anyways, we, uh, we were in, we, I remember pulling into this. And by the way, I was the teacher's aide. And somehow I got elected to be the teacher's aide. So that meant that I was like supposed to like oversee the whole thing. And I had mixed feelings about it myself, but I was supposed to oversee the thing. So we pulled into the neighborhood where we were going to be at. And um, everyone's like kind of awkward, doesn't want to do it. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, guys, let's, let's go. I'm acting all excited. And then, um, <laughs> and then. Right as we're about to step out of the van and go break up into our little groups and do the stuff, um, this other guy, one of the nicest guys in the whole class, just said, just blurted out loud, no, like, I'm not going to do this. Like, I do not want to do this. People don't want me to just show up on their doorstep and force this stuff on them. This doesn't feel right. And everyone in the whole class or everyone in the bus at that point or van or whatever it was, uh, we're like, they were, you could tell everyone was sort of silently agreeing with them. Like, yeah, man, there's something that about this just does not seem like the way of Jesus, really. And uh, I was, uh, you know, a visionary leader at 19 years old. And I was like, you know what, guys, if we don't do this, we're going to fail the glass. So we just got to do it. <laughs> it's a rousing speech, you know, really had a knack for this stuff. Uh, and so, uh, so anyways, long story short, we sort of, sort of hobbled our way through it. And, um, and, uh, and he, and he was basically, my, my buddy was basically right. It was, it was a painful experience. It was awkward for, not just for us, but for the people who had the courage to open their door. It was ineffective, most likely anyways. I, I don't know. Maybe God used some of those conversations. I really don't know. But in my gut, it didn't really seem like anyone was getting any closer to Jesus. In fact, it was probably reinforcing their, their uh, negative opinions about Christianity more than anything else. So the people we were talking to, they weren't necessarily pushing back against Jesus. I think they were pushing back against us being weird. I think that's what the real pushback was. And so, like, we're straight up, we're just sharing Jesus the same way that people, like, sell vacuums. 
And it just, to me, it just, there was something that was not compelling about that or effective. I'm not necessarily disparaging everyone who does that or has done that. Maybe that's like your preferred way of getting the word out. And I'm not necessarily saying it's always and forever bad. But what I am saying is that this, we have a unique set of cultural challenges. We are a de-churched post, near post-Christian society, which just means that there's different factors in play that when we're sharing the gospel, we have, diff- we have a, a methodology problem, not necessarily a message problem. The message is great. The message is good news. There's nothing wrong with the message. The problem is the methodology. Um, other times, uh, sharing the gospel can kind of be like a, like a debate. I've taken part in these myself as well. It's just a debate. And in those situations, a lot of times the Christians in the debate walk away feeling good about themselves. They, they feel like they had answers, clever answers to questions that the other person wasn't even really caring about at all and feeling self-righteous that they just don't get it. They just don't get it. And then the other people in the conversation, they wind up leaving the encounter feeling unloved and like their perceptions about Christians that they had going into the conversation that were sort of closed-minded and hypocrite were accurate. They're further entrenched in their views that they had beforehand. That's the problem with debate. So when we're feeling uneasy about sharing the gospel, when we're feeling uneasy about the good news, maybe it's not the good news that's the problem. Maybe we're being weird about it. (laughs) Are you guys with me? Yeah, I think sometimes we're being weird. So, um, what we need is a very simple just shift. It's pretty simple. Our methodology is out of date. We need a new methodology. We've got cultural obstacles, and our methodology needs to reflect the cultural moment that we're in. It's not about you having clever rebuttals to intellectual objections that people have about Jesus. That's not really your job. You should have a know the reason for God, and there's a bunch of really great books that are written on the subject. Tim Keller, I think, wrote one of the better ones in our generation. Um, But sharing the gospel effectively in our cultural moment is about doing the stuff Jesus did. It's, It's pretty simple. Just getting back to what Jesus was about. Real relationships over food at your house with a lot of listening, hopefully some inside jokes, Genuine care for people's stories over a period of time, a ton of prayer, so that you are deeply moved by how the gospel of Jesus is good news to that person. This is how Jesus shared the good news. And when we listen to our friends and our neighbors and colleagues, it's clear that they're longing for the same hope that you're longing for. They're longing for Jesus just the same just like we do. And their objections typically are not intellectual. A lot of times intellectual objections are the surface level objections that people have, but really there are much deeper things going on beneath the surface that are keeping people from saying yes to Jesus. And and it's it's normally not in their head, it's normally in their gut. And, And the objections are about hypocrisy among people of faith or pain or evil rebellion or idols in our culture things like that those are more commonly in my experience is me just speaking from experience people's deeper objections to the christian faith and then once we sort of address those gut deeper uh, uh, visceral type objections what ends up happening is people are really open to jesus instead um so the way that we have sort of approached this gap between 
Jesus's way of sharing the gospel and our methodology that we've typically used here in the 20th and 21st century is something that's called Alpha. And Alpha is a program. It's 10 weeks of dinner conversations where everyone is welcome. People can pose any question and they're listened to without judgment. And it's a, it's a journey where you invite people into it. It's super, super compelling, compelling. And Alpha, you guys, has given me so much hope for the future of the church. Not just us growing old together, which would be fun and awesome, but so much more than that, welcoming new family members into the mix and seeing us each grow in our discipleship to Jesus. And things are really changing right now, especially right now, COVID moment. Things are, are changing so much. And I'm not just talking about a pandemic, although that is a big part of it, but it's all of the uh, interworkings of our society are rapidly changing underneath our feet as well. Uh, one of our elders and one of my best friends in the whole planet has said that, uh, that, that COVID like accelerates everything by 10 years. And the societal movements that we've been a part of have just been shaken up to the point where they're accelerated uh, to this point in, in our life. So people may seem at first glance to, be, uh, to think that Christians are like anti-science, anti-intellectual and all that stuff. But in reality, people are far more open to talking about faith in Jesus than we realize. Jesus is taboo. He definitely is taboo. Don't get me wrong about that. But tons of people are still ready to engage in faith conversations. Barna. Uh, that, that same group I mentioned before, uh, Dave Kinnaman, uh, pulled, they pulled over a thousand non-Christians on the qualities of a good person to talk to about faith. And here were the top four. The top four uh, people want conversation partners who listen well, without judgment. Surprise, surprise. Just be good at being in a conversation with another human being. That's easy. Allow others to draw their own conclusions. Don't force a conclusion and are confident in sharing their own perspective. It's okay that you have a concrete spiritual belief, and people actually want you to express that with them. They just don't want you to be pushy with it, and they want you to listen to what they're saying as well. So what we learn here is that non-Christians don't want to come to church. Anybody surprised by that? I'm not. Half the time, we don't want to come to church, and you guys are Jesus followers. But, but what the reality is, is that non-Christians just, they're not, they're not down with this yet. They don't get it. And that's okay. Jesus sent us to go tell them the good news. Not that they all got to come here so I can tell them the good news. It's backwards. We need to go, to, go out and, and be a decent friend. So out, that's what Alpha is all about. I suggest we start where friends are at, not where we want them to be or wish that they would do. And Alpha... It's, it's simple. It's 10 weeks of dinner conversations. We talk about life, meaning, and faith. And it's really simple. We launched it uh, this January before all of COVID happened. We, had this amazing, we started with this big party <laughs> out at Spoken Moto, and it was super fun. We just opened up a drink tab, gave everybody a couple tickets. My buddy Tano played an awesome wor- uh, set. wasn't worship, wasn't Christian, none of that. It was just a, a bunch of people hanging out. And then at a couple different times, people from our team, led by Sierra and Brooke, uh, just got up in front and said, hey, listen, we all have questions. We all have doubts. We all wonder about, uh, about faith. So if you're interested in that, come join us. It's not a bait and switch. It's just a come and join us. We'd, we'd love to talk with you. And we love to listen to what you have to say about matters of faith. And Alpha does this really beautiful job of unpacking these questions over time in a non-judgmental 
way. And so then what ended up happening out of that was super cool. So there, I think at the beginning there was maybe eight or ten people after the um, Alpha the Launch Party um, at Spoken Moto, which was crazy fun. There's about ten people like, you know what, you're right, I do. I do want to be a part of something like that. I do want to talk about faith. We're happy about those ten people. And for the next ten weeks, not in a church setting where people have to come to our terms or whatever, we just invited them to come out to Back Porch on Century Drive. Dave Beach is a friend and comes to Riverbend. He said, you know what, our space is open for you guys. So it's a neutral ground where everyone can feel comfortable. And we just had a ton of food and um, asked these questions together. And, um, and then myself and a couple of others were holding down the fort at the church, just praying for God to move with power. All things happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't anything that we drum up ourselves. This is something that happens in the power of the Spirit. So there's a handful of us praying and contending for an awakening to the gospel while at, at uh, Back Porch, people are hanging out for several hours. And here's what we found is that people were so ready to engage in these questions, way more ready to engage than we thought they were. So much so that the group actually grew from 10 guests to the next week there were more guests, and the next week there were more guests, and the next week there were more guests. Guests inviting guests. You know what? This is really cool. I've had questions about spiritual reality. These people are not shoving anything down our throats. They just want to talk about all of this, giving us a space to talk about it. So guests inviting guests is really cool. And then another thing that we did was um, as these dinner conversations are happening around 8 p.m., Sierra or Brooke from the team would get out in front and say, hey, you guys, this has been so fun. This has been great. We love, uh, we got to clean up and get everything put away now. But if you want to keep the conversation going, Good Life is just literally just across the parking lot. Go hang out at Good Life. And so it was closing time there um, at Back Porch and then, they would literally, the entire group, about 30 or 35 people, would leave a back porch and go over to Good Life and hang out there until past closing time there as well. Engaging in the conversation. Because people are starving for real conversation about spiritual reality and who Jesus is. And then about six weeks in, this is still before COVID, um, we, we took a handful of those people on what we call the weekend away. This is something that Alpha does. Like, hey, we've been talking about God as though he's real. What if we spend some time actually praying to him as though he is and just see what happens? You can come and be a part of that if you want to. And there's a big group of people who rolled out. I think it was at Subtle Lake. Um, again, I was holding down the fort doing all, like leading all the prayer stuff. But there was a group of people that went out there and what was really cool about that is that six people, six people decided to get baptized out there. Yeah, this is a beautiful thing. You know what? I've been around this long enough to know that there's something really unique about Jesus. I'm in. I want baptized. I'm in. This is really, really, really cool. And here's what was unique about it. So immediately after that is when we had to shut everything down because of COVID. And literally everyone in Alpha was going, no, no. Like they wanted to keep on gathering. And so started doing things online and everything else. It's just been this really amazing experience. It, people are actually enjoying the process of learning the good news about Jesus. It's not judgy. It's not super awkward. It's not preachy. It's not social suicide. It's none of those things. It's literally what people are looking for, starving for. Because why? Because the message about Jesus is really, really powerful. It's really powerful. It has power to change life. And much more than that too. So, 
we have got some work in front of us. In fact, Alpha went so awesome this year, we decided that, you know, despite everything with COVID, we just want to keep the pedal down and we just want to do Alpha as best as we possibly can, as much as we possibly can. It costs a little bit of money and it takes a lot of energy and time from a group of volunteers, but um, we're going to continue to do Alpha. Our hope is to start another Alpha up uh, sometime September, October, just a regular old Alpha um, in September, October will go 10 weeks. Um, and we'd love for you to go, and, and um, there's an alpha table up at the front. So after the gathering, we'd love for you to go check that out if you have more questions. We're also going to be launching Alpha Youth, which I'm super excited about. It's going to be so, so great. Um, alpha Youth is uh, basically the same exact thing for teenagers. Um, and then we're also, like, uh, working on doing Alpha in uh, the Deer Ridge Correctional Facility up in Madras. The, the Alpha Prisons is another thing we want to do as well. Um, and um, this is a program that, that's done in certain places across the country. No one's doing it yet here in Central Oregon. So we just say, hey, listen, this is a method that really works to get the message out about Jesus. And so we're going to put all of our energy and focus and, 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 and attention behind that. When it comes to evangelism, we're going full tilt with Alpha because we really believe that the message of Jesus has power and, and it's really great. So here's what we need from you. We could really use your support with this. Now, Alpha isn't for just everyone. It's, it is for anyone. Anyone can come to Alpha. But it's, it's um, one of those things where we really need to preserve a safe place for people to encounter Jesus. So it's not where you go if you like giving a lot of answers. It's where you are able to sit and listen and to say, interesting, what do the rest of you think? And not force your answers onto people. So we do need a lot of you who would be willing to host. We do need a lot of you who would be willing to give towards that. It costs a lot of money to do it. Give towards that. We do need a, a bunch of you to pray with us as well, that the kingdom would move with power and that there would be an awakening to the gospel. We need each and every, every one of you to be engaged in one way or another when it comes to getting the gospel out. And then, of course, uh, also to invite your people, invite your friends. You're not, if you invite someone to Alpha, you won't lose a friend. Most other methods, you can, there's a good risk of losing a friend. Not with Alpha. It's really, really not that way at all. Um, so I want to leave you, leave you with a story. Uh, last year, I've told this story before too, but it bears repeating, and you'll see why in a second. Last year, I went to the Portland Whiskey Library, or Multnomah Whiskey Library with Brooke, one of the, one of the pastors here as well. And, uh, I, and I absolutely, um, I'm a whiskey fan. I went for a drink because it's a legendary spot. Um, notice I said a drink, not multiple. Um, but I was, I was hanging out there with Brooke and we were having the best time. And what ended up happening was we were, we sat down at the bar and a couple minutes in, there was this, this, these two people who were work, work friends, man and a woman who came and sat down next to us. And we struck up a conversation. Brooke's a super fun guy. And so they're asking us all kinds of questions. We were asking them questions, getting to know them. Everything was going great until the woman in the group asked us, what do you do for work? And this is a question that I've learned to love and hate. But I've also just kind of, you don't know how people are going to respond to it, right? So I, I've just learned, you know what, I just go straight towards it when people ask me. And I said, I give them my canned, lame pastor answer, which is this. I go something, something along the lines of, you know, I promise we're normal people, but we are both pastors, <laughs> you know. And instantly you could see it in their faces. The guy was like, oh, man, I thought these guys were cool. This sucks. 
And then Brooke, of course, was just a, wasn't thrilled that I got him into that situation because he's been in enough of those awkward conversations too. And then the the woman, the the woman was like like you could see the anger on her face. You could see the anger on her face. She was, uh, she thought that I was really what's wrong with the world, and you, and you could see that all all over her face that we're a part of the problem. And she grew really hostile right away. And started asking us all kinds of questions. Now, the reason why I share this story, the reason why this matters for right now, is because in times like these, you have a decision to make. You have a decision. And if you, I think it comes down to if you are or if you aren't secure in your identity in Jesus. Because if you're insecure, you locked in, loaded, and you start doing all of your defensive moves, your defensive moves. I am not a part of the problem. I am a part of the solution, and I'm not a bigot. I'm not a whatever. I'm not a homophobe. I'm, I'm like a, I'm an actual person. You, you want to get defensive, get out, go on the defensive. But, it, but if you're secure enough in, in who you are in Jesus, I, I think that allows you to be a bit uncomfortable and maybe even to be treated unfairly a little bit. I remember feeling very stereotyped in that conversation. Right? And I think that if we are secure in our relationship to Jesus, I'm a child of God, I belong to him, I'm in the family, I'm safe in my relationship with him, then I think we, we have a little bit tougher skin. We're able to move into these conversations that are very polarizing with a lot of sensitivity, hopefully a lot of patience, and maybe just a passion to sort of de-escalate the stuff. And, and this isn't the point of the conversation, but man, we have to have mature people of Jesus who are willing to go towards some of these really difficult conversations right now. Be willing to take a few knocks to the chin in order to bring a little bit of peace. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. So anyways, the conversation goes on for at least a couple hours, right, Brooke? Like two hours, maybe more. We're just in this conversation with, the, with these two people, and she's peppering us for que with questions like, you guys voted for Trump, didn't you? Like, there's no, you voted for Trump. Like, what about marriage equality? Like, what about that? And, and like, really, a lot of anger toward, towards us, and it was uncomfortable, to say the least. And I was thinking to myself, and so was Brooke, thinking to ourselves in that moment, man, we can lock and load our answers and just start firing away, or we can choose to show love to these people. It may not make a difference, but it's worth it. So over the course of two hours, they're asking us all of these questions and what about abortion rights and all of this stuff, right? And we're doing our best to just respond in, in love. And, uh, you know, and by the way, we all have questions, right? We all, have, we all have things that we worry about and wonder about. So for people like this, shouldn't we not lock and load our answers, but just be a little bit empathetic to people having real objections to the faith? And that's just what it was. And then every now, now and again, they would say something like, oh, that wasn't what I expected. Or then there was another time where she said, oh, I really like that answer. So we're starting to disarm the hostility a little bit. And then as we're going, we're continuing to listen, pick up parts of their story, who they are, asking them questions about their lives. And, um, and turns out the reason why that woman was responding really negatively to uh, us being Jesus followers was because of some hurt in her past. Go figure. It wasn't a shock to me at all. I've seen that a thousand times. So she had a really negative experience. 
And all the while, while we're sharing and while they're sharing, we're praying for them, asking for the Holy Spirit to show us how the gospel is good news to them. And then, uh, like, I don't know how long into the conversation, but eventually I just started to get, like, this nagging feeling that God had a prophetic word for the man who we were talking to. And um, it was really, this is the part where it was a little bit uncomfortable for me. It felt really risky, but I finally worked up the courage and I looked him in the eye and said, hey, uh, I don't know if you believe in this kind of thing, but I just believe that God has a prophetic word for you. And here it is. And the dude went white and his head hit the bar and he looked up and then the woman right over, she said, how did you do that? She goes, how did you do that? And I said, this is just how God shows you that he loves you and that he's real is that he sometimes gives us specific words and things like that. And she was dumbfounded. She goes, I want an epiphany too then. Give me an epiphany. And I was like, well, that's not really how it works, but I could pray for I could definitely pray for you. She says, no, you can't pray for me. No, I don't want, I don't want any prayer. And I said, hey, that's no problem. But I used that as my in. And I said, but we are going to pray for him because God is working in his life right now. And so we are going to pray. So picture this. This is the Multnomah Whiskey Library, a vestige of seculars. Our bartender's like, what in God's name is happening over here? We all get up and we move over. And Brooke and I lay hands on this guy and we're praying for him. And as Brooke is praying, this woman goes, like, at a shouting kind of a volume, oh, my God, you're making me a Christian. I'm becoming a Christian right now. (laughs) And she couldn't believe what was happening. And there was just something tangible about the presence of God in that moment where God was doing something real in their lives. And it was absolutely incredible. She felt the love of God. She heard the message. She saw the power of God. And she encountered the presence of God. So it's not just one thing. It's a a composite of the presence of God, of moving in power by the Holy Spirit with the gospel being shared in a loving and kind way without defensiveness and without being weird and awkward and preachy about it. And it became really, really irresistibly good news to them. To where now they, they came into the conversation really disappointed that they happened to sit down to a couple of pastors to all of a sudden being really compelled by who Jesus really is. And that is who Jesus is. He is compelling. Sharing, sharing the gospel is always going to be risky, but it doesn't have to be weird and awkward. And remember, Jesus promised us that he would send his power as his witnesses. So we're as, as we're his witnesses, he sends his power by the Holy Spirit. So just a couple of quick takeaways, okay? So uh, a couple of quick takeaways here. Um, having productive faith conversations. Ask real questions. Be sincere about the real questions that you're asking. And then listen to their answers. This is also just known as being a human Listen well. Ask the Holy Spirit to come. Empathize with people in their in, in their pain. Like that was what it was for these women, for that woman in this conversation. She was probably used to Christians giving her a bunch of canned answers, but really she was just hurting. She didn't have intellectual objections. She had gut level objections to the faith. And then the intellectual ones went away when Jesus got in there to move with power. Be willing to take time. 
be willing to take some time. So you're not um, convincing people to think like you think. You're showing them who Jesus is. Okay, so you're not debating them. You're showing them who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. So that means your attitude has to be in check. You have to be patient. You have to take your time. Sometimes it's only a couple of hours. That was a pretty condensed period at the, at the Multnomah Whiskey Library. But other times it takes way, way longer than that. And that's exactly what Alpha is designed for, by the way. So the power of Jesus' love is disorienting in a place like Ben because it's unlike everything else out there. The power of Jesus' love is unlike anything else because there is nothing like it. So your neighbors, your colleagues are more open to having real faith conversations than you think they are. And so we need to move towards them with the same love that Jesus has and do the same stuff that Jesus did. Are you guys with me on that? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to, um, I just want to remind you, the Alpha table is going to be open after the gathering. And there's so much more about Alpha that I didn't have a chance to share with you about. There's some really cool stuff that happened over the last couple of months as we did it. Um, go talk to Sierra or Brooke or one of the other leaders up there if you want to get involved, if you want to support it financially, if you want to come join me for prayer, if you want to become trained to become a host or a helper, if you want to join Alpha Prisons, if you want to join Alpha Youth, if you want to join regular Alpha, you can do any and all of that. We are open. Uh, and we could really, really, we could really, we actually really need you to step up and to help. Okay, um, so let's do that. But I don't want this moment to go by before without actually seeking the presence of God in in that exact same way, making room in our day in our Sunday for for God to really move with power. So uh, worship team, why don't you guys come up? We're gonna pray. Uh, the rest of you, would you stand to your feet with me? And what we're gonna do is. We're just going to um, make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And uh, this might be kind of a new thing for you, and that's totally okay. Um, and you can engage with this as much as you're comfortable with. But here at Riverbend, we're, we don't believe we're speaking about a God who's far off and doesn't have any power to come and meet with us. Are you guys with me? We believe that God is real. He's right here with us. Not talking about him like he's not around. He's right here. And he does want to meet you. And maybe you've already been hearing God speak. Maybe you've just had a sense that God is moving in you right now. Maybe he's just stirring in you. Maybe it's not as profound necessarily as like, oh, that's a prophetic word. That sounds very, I don't know. I don't know what it sounds like. It just sounds very churchy. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't feel like that, but maybe you're being stirred in some way. So all, we want, all we're going to do is go a little bit deeper into that right now. So if you're comfortable, just open your hands with me. This is a, just a posture, what we call a posture of receiving. Just indicating to our bodies, to our spirit, to the Lord, that we are open to receive from Him. Father, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you, Jesus, for how you have forgiven us how you have welcomed us into your family. Thank you for the news that isn't just so-so, okay, okay, we can live with that news. Thank you that it's good news. Sometimes I feel like that's an understatement. There's no other gospel, there's no other news out there for us that changes the world and changes us quite like this. Believe in your salvation, we believe in your forgiveness, but we believe that the point where we entered the kingdom of God and where we entered the family of God was simply just the first step. 
and it's the most critical step, but there's so much more and you're inviting us into more. So we don't want to leave tonight without receiving everything that you have for us. Heard the word, that changes us. We've sung and we're gonna keep singing. We're gonna receive the bread and the cup. But we also want a deep encounter with you. So we're gonna pray one of the one of the most ancient prayers on the face of the earth. Church has been praying since literally Jesus' ascension. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Now what you might notice is that you have a guard up or two. Or you're going, I don't really know. I've been sitting here a while. I'm kind of ready to get on with the rest of my night. Maybe that's a little guard that you have up. It's also possible that you find yourself in a place of spiritual distraction. I just want you to notice as we invite the Holy Spirit how He is slowly but very certainly sort of pushing those things off to the side. And I just want you to, you don't have to do much, you don't have to control this situation or do very much at all. You just have to agree with the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing. To let those things that might be keeping you from saying yes to everything that he has for you, this, the spirit of distraction and just that's a, agree with the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing that those things go away for the moment. And now we'll pray again. Holy Spirit, come. I want you to pay attention to what's rising up in you right now. What's coming to the surface. Maybe it's a, a sense of joy. Maybe it's something different from that. It could be something like fatigue or just like even apathy. Those things are real. Just notice what's coming to the surface. And I want you in your own words, under your breath or out loud, doesn't matter to me. Just ask God, what do you want me to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? may sound a little bit strange, but this is the phrase that's coming to my mind right now. It may be for you, or it may just be what I ate for lunch. I'm not sure. But the word is this. Are you hungry? Are you hungry? And if I could be so bold, I think what that phrase is all about is, are you hungry for me? Are you, what's, what's waking you up in the morning? What's driving you? What's the thing that, that is the, the focus of your life? 
when I get up here and rant and rave about the gospel and the good news about Jesus, when I rant and rave about the kingdom of God and how Jesus is one day returning and making all things new, brand new creation, and everything is as it should be. Are you hungry for him? Are you hungry for that? Remember, this is a safe place in the, whole, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's safe here. So you don't have to pretend like your answer is something different than what it is. You can be honest and laid bare before God. I just encourage you to do that now. so bold again I believe that what God is doing is he's birthing in you a new renewed sense of passion for him and for the gospel he's saying you know what I used to think things about God I used to go through a rote religious experience but now it's so much more than that it cannot be contained I am on fire. I am passionate about him and the life that I am now living because of the goodness of God and because of who Jesus is and for what he has done. Holy Spirit, would you come and would, would you birth this new passion and hunger in each and every one of us? And if this is weird for you or whatever, I just want to encourage you to just remain where you are and allow the Spirit to do his thing. You're safe. We spend so much of our time longing for things that we don't have. Things that we wish we had. But right now, right here in the presence of God, we have everything that we need.